Hi guys, I'm Ann Graham from MIB Agents. Please join us for the next Osteobytes on September 23rd. We'll be speaking with Ab Gupta, MD. Dr. Gupta will be sharing information about fertility preservation in patients with osteosarcoma. After a short presentation on her research, she will take questions from attendees. Please share your questions with us in advance at Ann, A-N-N, at mibagents.org. You know, 7.30, Eddie, I forget you're watching me. <laughs> like, sorry. I'm like snacking and drinking my iced coffee in your ear. I apologize. <laughs> Make a good video for us anyway, please. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Stop crunching. Get my email.
Hey. And how are you? Good. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for this uh, invitation. <laughs> you are welcome anytime. <laughs> um, how are things? Good. Yeah. We actually just got back. Uh, we haven't had osteobites for a couple of weeks. Yeah. One, because we were looking for a location for Factor. Yeah. In San Diego. In San Diego. In San Diego, which we found and we have dates and then Delta and COVID surge and people not getting vaccines and people not wearing masks. and. So what are you going to do now? That's an excellent question. (laughs) Actually, I was just responding to our scientific advisory board on because I put out a what do we do? Yeah. Question. And, um, you know, in, in short, we're not going to have a regular factor. It's not going to be 200 people huh. in San Diego. It's likely to be, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's to be determined, but it's likely to be small groups and possibly talking about, um, you know, doing like case case conferences. Okay. Where we're talking about the things that we always talk about that that I was really looking forward to doing at Factor, like uh, upfront surgery for osteosarcoma or uh, open thoracotomy versus VATS, kind of, and and get a consensus on, you know, some of these things. So I think there's there's work that needs to be done that can't be done on osteobites, and that certainly can't be done this coming 2021. At least it doesn't look like in February um, for for a regular factor. So we're trying to figure that out. Do you have any ideas? Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so we we just did our. Um, I was I was organizing um, the cancer center retreat. This is the end of July, um, and and this is right after we everything opened up. But but we still did sort of um, a virtual thing, which. You know, there's so many different platforms out there. Um, some folks are kind of used to the, the virtual platform, but I, for one, I, I'm never used to. I, I I don't like the whole virtual. I need I need person thing. So so we are actually organizing. I have a meeting tomorrow. There's a, a Midwest um, Immunotherapy Conference uh, in, for February in in Pennsylvania. As far as I know, they're still planning on having it in person. So I, I don't know how that conversation is going to go tomorrow. But uh, yeah. no, it's been, it's been, it's been hard. You just don't know. It's like, you just don't know. And like, we, you know, for us, like we can't risk you getting sick. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. The people who treat us getting sick and we can't risk the kids who attend getting sick. Yeah. No, this is a tough one. It's a, uh, it's a tough one, but I agree with you. Every virtual conference I've attended, I'm doing my email. I'm like, right. There's just too many distractions. I'm, I'm, I'm like, totally I'm texting my wife, like, hello. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, hey, Amy. Hi. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, I have to say, go ahead. My camera's not great, so. No, you're great. Okay. You're good. Um, um, I love your wife. She, yeah. I, I really. I love her too, by the way, just so you know. I know you do. And, and I know that she loves you because she shows up. Yeah, like she is such a great supporter, and I I am such a big fan of people who show up. Well, but but she's been complaining for the last fifteen years. I never took her anywhere. 
So, <laughs> and the excuse has always been, oh, we got kids at home. Somebody yeah. said, but now we're empty nesters. You know, we're completely empty nesters. Us too, yeah. I, I'm running out of excuses for not bringing in her. So yeah. <laughs> Well, and you can't do factor now because that was going to be in San Diego at a fabulous hotel. I know. That we love. And I her, mean, sister, yeah. her sister's all, Cal you know, she's got a sister in, in UCSD, uh, San Francisco and yeah. and San Diego and, and LA. So, you know, anything in California, we go, we'll be there. Ah, okay. So. I don't know. So, okay. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we figure out like a That's small group, but I think it has to be like regional, local, right? you know, yeah. cause you're probably not going to be able to travel. Yeah. It's too bad. I mean, okay. Um, I should try to, I should try to see if I can share a screen, right? Oh, you know what? Yes. You have to, you know what the last, um, the last osteobites, I think I set, I don't know how I managed to do it, but I, and I just going to make sure you can share now. Um, it's Wang, right? Huang. Oh. <laughs> Huang. Okay. It's like it's like Wang. It's like Wang with an H sound in the in the front. Huang. Yeah. Okay. So I got it Wang the whole time. <laughs> you got it wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we, there was there's another Dr. Huang in pathology downstairs from me, and every time I lectured the student, I said, you know, there are now two Dr. Huangs, but it doesn't make it right. So it doesn't. <laughs> Oh, that's a bad joke. Oh, that's a great joke. I'm here for it. <laughs> you can see that, right? Yep, looks great. Right, so I think we're okay then. I'm just gonna stop sharing. Okay. Okay. So we have I we have 30 people signed up, which means we'll probably have 15 people show up. Yeah, it's okay. But as you know, the the value in this is in the long term ability for people to access the information and um, to to understand. But before we do anything, by the way, I have to say thank you for taking care of uh, the Murdoffs. Um, you know, um, yeah, I, I just uh, it, it it breaks my heart, but I I do what I can. I mean, it, the timing was was right. We just happened to have that um, ODD designation from the FDA two two Mondays ago, and and I'm already in conversation with a company about a clinical trial in osteo. Um, they want to expand it to include all sarcomas, which I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm trying to lower the age group. They want to go 18 and up, and and for for Shar, you know, she just turned 18, so I think yeah. it's not a problem. So I'm yeah. trying to talk them into including at least 14 and up, if not 12 and up. Um, yeah. And and Krista Monhase is trying to, to help me negotiate that. But, you know, we're at a point where, you know, it turned out that the drug is available. I know Pete Anderson, I've actually, there's another patient that Pete was trying to, to get compassionate use uh, of that drug and I'm helping him as well. And I'm glad the company, if, if anybody, they, they're actually very willing to engage. So. I heard that the, the medications arriving at UCSF today. Yeah. Tell me this medication. The Vectocertib. It's, okay. a, it's an oral pill that you take to inhibit TGF-beta, which is um, pretty cool because you can, you can titrate it up and down and you can stop and it disappears within a day or two. Um, That's nice. Yeah, and it, the biology is interesting. We're still trying to figure it out, but at least in our models, it works. That's the thing. So, and you know, I mean, the most important thing is you got a company that's interested. Yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah. which is always the big, the first, the biggest struggle we have. But um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I do what I can. And, you know, just very nice of them yesterday. I actually got a, a case of wine delivered oh. to my office. From them. She sent me pictures. <laughs> and and I, brought, I brought the whole case over to the lab and I was struggling to say, okay, who gets a bottle? Because everybody's like, I want a bottle. <laughs> So I made a rule like graduate students are not allowed. Sorry, only <laughs> scientists. And, you have to be uh, thirty to get a bottle. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're too young to get a bottle. <laughs> no, um, she nice. she's a junior board member, Charlotte. Yeah, and she uh, she's just amazing. Yeah. She, two days after, did they tell you you know about her pleurectomy, right? Her she, that pleurectomy. Two days after a 20 hour surgery, she was on our junior board call like, and participating in a meaningful way. Not in the hospital? Yeah. She was still in the hospital, yeah. Just Yeah, that was, that was a long surgery. I mean, Ooh. God bless the surgeon. God bless the surgeon. Yeah. And God bless uh, everybody involved, but um, Allie for finding him and having... Right. Oh, it's, you uh, know, having a, um, Amy, he's a mesothelioma surgeon. Yeah. Okay. So he's used to like going in and pulling out, you know, little fibers. And right. I was texting her throughout the, throughout, I was texting Allie and I was like, okay, how'd she do? And she's like, still in, I'm like, still in, still in. And then yeah, 20 yeah. hours. Unbelievable. I can't do anything for 20 hours. I can't even sleep for 20 hours. <laughs> I can't sit on the couch for 20 hours. Like, but, that, but that's the kind of surgeons that, that produces long-term survivors in cases like this. Yeah, when they, they work that hard yeah, and that When they that work that hard. And, yeah. yeah, and they, they want to harvest every little thing they can feel. I mean, you need yeah. somebody like that. So, yeah. Well, I've worked with surgeons that are like, well, I'm not going back in there because I'll just feel a hundred things and I can never take everything out. Yeah. And I'm like, that's sad. Just do it. Just do it. Um, hey, do you did you get a new office? Me? Yeah. It's been a small office. I feel like I'm a hoarder, but uh, the, it's the same same old office. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I yeah. <laughs> I love the check. <laughs> that was the other thing. Last week we were in Pittsburgh um, doing a, a check presentation to Kurt Weiss. Yeah. I saw. Uh, so, yeah. So I love, you know, we love, and we've partnered with Hyundai Hope on Wheels on a, the Thought Leaders Conference. But I really think that um, that white coat with the paint, it looks like a crime scene. <laughs> <laughs> and the cars too, like on the cars, it looks like a horror movie. And <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I forgot um, that, that the ink actually goes through the white coat. So I wear like white shirt underneath and afterwards I had to throw the shirt away because you can't, it's, it's like all paint. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's great to have all so many foundations, everybody kind of, you know, I, I always tell people if you can find a vaccine within eight months of COVID. Yeah. When you put entire resources behind it. Yeah. You can solve osteo in short time. Yes. That's the thing. So, um, 
I told I told Michael Aggie in Osteosarcoma Collaborative that I you know my my effort is like the uh, warp speed of osteosarcoma. This is, you know, remember we had the warp speed for COVID, whatever the, the yeah. official name. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we need a warp speed uh, project for, for osteosarcoma. So. We need it. We gotta step on it. Um, hey Shannon. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Struggling to find unmute button. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just moving good. to college, so. Yay! Which one? Um, where, Shannon, where are you? Where I, are you? I'm at Binghamton. Excellent. Oh, nice. Um, have you, you? I don't think you've met Dr. Huang before. Huang. Huang! <laughs> wow, well, Anne. Again, saying, again wait. two Huang, two Huangs don't make a right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I am writing myself a note, Wong. Wong, Wong. Okay, Shannon, um, please meet Dr. Huang. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, my, my son, my, I just, we drove down to Nashville. My son is a sophomore. At, Vanderbilt? Uh, at Bel Belmont, Belmont University, okay. right next door to Vanderbilt. He, yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he's a musician, not, a, not an academician. So he's a jazz musician. Did I ask you? I think I I think I did, but I didn't I didn't write it down. Did you do you play a musical instrument? Uh, a while ago, I played like violin for twelve years, but oh. I sing nowadays. I always you hear me always sing. Always sing. Um, <laughs> I can always sing Elvis. I can sing you know Asian Elvis. That's always. <laughs> um, Blue Hawaii was um, filmed at my parents' house in Hawaii. Oh what? You know, I grew up in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, well, Blue Hawaii was uh, the parent Elvis's parents' house. Yeah. Um, it's was at my parents. Well, it was my parents' house, not at the time, but subsequently, like we, they moved into that house, and and then we found out that it was where they filmed Blue Hawaii. Oh That's crazy. I know. It's it's like our it's our claim to fame. Um, okay, so uh, just a quick thing. You're a veteran, so I don't really need to tell you a lot, but um, I'm going to ask you, Dr. Huang, yes. <laughs> to um, to uh, start the introductions, and then Amy, you go next, and then Shannon, you go, and then Alex, back to you, too, and just uh, when Shannon's finished introducing herself, if you could just start your presentation. So I introduce myself in the beginning? I'll ask you. Oh. Yeah, I'll cue you. Okay. But then, but then you don't need to say anything to Amy. She'll just start, okay. and then Shannon will just start, and then back to you. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm gonna hit uh, start. Hold on. <laughs> I'm so out of practice. <sighs> Give it a minute. Um, so it's a beautiful day in Vermont today. How's it in your neighborhood? Overcast in Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. New York. How's it going over there, Shannon? Same thing, overcast. Yeah. Amy. Same, same here. We had big thunderstorms last night. It's kind of raw today. You know, one of the things I love about traveling is on an overcast day when it just looks so thick. And then you go above the clouds and it's blue. And it's like, wow, it's blue all the time up here. This is this is awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, just one second. The 
get Andy on board. Okay. Ready? <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to Osteobites, everybody. My name is Anne Graham. I'm an Osteo Warrior and Executive Director of MIB Agents. Today, we get to talk with uh, 2019 MIB Agents Outsmarting Osteosarcoma Research Award recipient, Dr. Alex Wong. He will be providing an update on myeloid stimulation therapies for osteosarcoma and other sarcomas too. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Wong is a professor of pediatrics and director, Center for Pediatric Immunotherapy at UH Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. He is also the co-leader for the Immune Oncology Program at Case Comprehensive Cancer Center. He received his BS in chemistry and MS in biochemistry and molecular biology from the University of Chicago, and then entered the medical science training program at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, where he completed his MD and PhD training. Before we get rolling on Dr. Huang's update, I need to explain that I'm not all sparkly today, um, just because I wanted to look good for osteobites, although clearly um, that, is, that is the case as well. But it's because it is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and MIB Agents has bows, lots of bows that are being made across this great country by families who have been affected by osteosarcoma. Please go to our website and uh, help spread awareness and sparkles by putting a bow on it. Um, I can tell you that the impact of these bows is significant. It not only helps fund better for childhood cancer, specifically osteosarcoma, but we've had families who have had a, a you know, kid in treatment and they're really struggling and for them to come through their neighborhood and have bows on mailboxes supporting them is, is an astonishingly brilliant and supportive way to help a family through. Um, so uh, also, did I say there are clinic packs for uh, research institutions, labs, hospitals? So you can get a pack of 10 bows and have them on your bows in your hospital or your research lab too. Just go to mibagents.org forward slash bows and make it better with bows, bows, and they're really pretty. Um, Dr. Huang, would you get started with the introductions, please? Sure, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, to come back again after, uh, I think my last time was in May of 2020. Uh, my name is Alex Huang, a pediatric, uh, pediatric oncologist and hematologist and professor of pediatrics at Case Western Reserve University. Just very happy to share with you some of the updates. I'm Amy Wichek, a physician assistant, pediatrics, pediatric oncology, osteosarcoma advocate extraordinaire. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Shannon. Very happy to be here today. I am a junior board member of MIB, and I'm also a osteo sibling. So I guess I'll start sharing. Please let me know if um, this is working out okay with everybody. Looks great. Can you see my, my mouse by any chance, the cursor? Yes. Okay. Well, thank you very much everybody um, for this opportunity to update everyone on projects that were um, ca um, catapulted actually by, by the awards that we have received from, uh, from MIB agents um, 
in outsmarting our, our osteosarcoma in 2019. And in the next uh, 40 minutes or so, um, it will not be a terribly in-depth uh, scientific discussions, but I wanted to bring to everyone's attention um, on four projects, two of which are pretty close to clinical application and two are still under development, but hopefully uh, you will see uh, some translational effort on those fronts as well in the near uh, future. And so I will focus on discussions re uh, regarding myeloid stimulation, and this is interesting. For those who are not um, uh, very familiar with it, it's a, a type of immune cells found in your body and that's very prevalent in diseases like osteosarcoma. So get started from there and hopefully this will always get the dreaded um, clicking noises. Here we go. So disclaimers, um, I will be discussing off-label use uh, for natalizumab uh, for the first part of the discussion. Um, and also Vectocertip, which is a new agent uh, for to target PGF-beta. Um, and then cryoablation will be the end of my discussions. And then there were some financial support over the last uh, few years as a result of some of the pilot studies we're able to gather uh, through funding agencies such as uh, MIB agents. Just to re recall, it seems like so long ago, but it's two summers ago uh, that we were fortunate to be visited by our uh, uh, MIB agents, uh, these were taken on a very sunny day in Cleveland, unlike today. Um, but, you know, look very fondly back on those days, the, the particular visit and uh, many things have since then been developed and I want to update everybody. So the outline of what my brief uh, conversation today will be focused on four projects and, and I'll spend maybe five, six minutes on each, but really to just bring everybody up to date on what, what's the latest development in each of these areas. So the first uh, three projects are what was proposed in, in outsmarting uh, osteosarcoma proposal, including um, a novel uh, therapeutic approach to actually target metastatic osteosarcoma using an, an FDA approved drug, natalizumab, uh, that, that we term integrant therapy. Uh, the second is the, uh, the update on the development of a novel um, plant-based uh, water-soluble BG34200 from Oat brand. And then the last uh, part of the, the first half is an update on our work uh, with Mepecto in South Korea on using orally available um, TGF-beta inhibitor uh, pills, a vectocertib in osteosarcoma. And then I'll end by uh, discussing some of the novel uh, discoveries of uh, trying to understand why cryoblation, which many of you may have heard as a modality to debulk tumors when they're inoperable, uh, trying to understand why cryoblation sometimes works and sometimes don't work in sarcoma. And hopefully they will prevent, you know, provide some future directions. Um, as we all know, in, in tumor treatments, we have historically focused on tumor intrinsic vulnerabilities uh, whether it's genetic mutations we can target using drugs specific for them, uh, cell cycle progressions, the basis of which many of our chemotherapeutics are um, uh, utilized, uh, or protein synthesis and turnover pathways, metabolomes, uh, nutrients, and stress response. So as a result, chemo radiation therapy and surgery is the backbone of many of our sarcoma therapies. Um, um, but more recently, we are also starting to uh, really appreciate the fact that uh, non-cancer cells within the tumor are also very important 
in, in providing a, a nurturing environment for the cancer uh, tumor to grow. And so if we can target some of these factors, such as genetic factors or immune suppression, which is what I'm going to focus today, and even vascular supplies or nervous innervations uh, and microbiome all play a role. And, and these opportunities uh, still exist out there for us to actually take advantage of. So uh, I'll focus on the immune aspect of, of this. And obviously, we've been very interested in immunotherapy. Um, and it's not a, not a new concept per se. Uh, the concept has been around for over a century, in fact. Um, but more recently, with the development of technology and our ability to understand more and more on fundamentally how immune system works, both in cancer as well as in infections and vaccines, we realize that we can take advantage of our very powerful uh, uh, immune system within our body to, to do some harm against the tumor. And this immunotherapy provides very powerful uh, um, you know, effects against uh, cancer cells. They can adapt over time. They are durable because of the way immune cells are constructed and, and that's how biologically how they function. They can travel throughout your whole body and actually eliminate potentially microscopic tumor cells that you, can, you don't see by CT scans and MRIs. They sometimes can synergize with chemotherapy, radiation, and other effects, um, and it can be highly targeted. Um, you know, the, the way they recognize their target can be very sensitive, um, and they can be universal, meaning that if you have different histologies of cancer, if you have similar targets the immune system sees, you can actually apply the same therapeutic modality across histological tissue types in different cancers. And this is why you're seeing different immune checkpoint blockades being uh, FDA approved for bladder cancer, for lung cancer, for all kinds of things, even though it's the same agent across the board, okay? So I wanna uh, bring everybody's attention to the tumor microenvironment. We've historically focused on, when you take a tumor out under biopsy, you look for tumor cells and see what they, what they look like. But now more and more we appreciate they actually allow more different types of cells besides tumor cells that, that consist of the entire tumor bulk. Um, and some of these are myeloid cells, which are cells derived from the bone marrow, and they are the myeloid lineage as different than the T cells, which are the lymphoid lineage. Um, and the myeloid cells can be subcategorized into macrophages, dendritic cells, uh, or myeloid suppressor, uh, myeloid-derived suppressor cells. Uh, needless to say, they are uh, different types of immune cells and the contribution of which in cancer is beginning to be more and more appreciated and we're starting to find ways to actually manipulate them. This is just a, a, a data already now 15 years ago to show that the difference between most adult cancers, uh, here denoted AD, and pediatric cancers across a, a histologic a subtypes, by and large, there is a paucity of T cells in pediatric cancer compared to adults. And this is denoted by CD3, which is a, a T cell marker. Um, and on the other hand, CD68, which is a marker of these myeloid cells that I mentioned earlier, seems to be predominant in many of the pediatric solid tumors. And this is true in adult, in some adult tumors, such as pancreatic cancer, for example. And exactly what do these cells do? Um, it's been shown now, Richard Gorlick and others have shown that, especially for osteosarcoma patients that have a lot of these infiltrating myeloid cells in their osteosarcoma tumor mass tend to have worse outcome compared to patients whose tumor uh, harbors fewer of these myeloid cells. So we know the presence of these myeloid cells have some prognostic 
uh, effect on the long-term outcome of these tumors. But exactly what do they do is, is under a lot of investigation. And there's been a very recent development out of pediatric oncology branch from uh, uh, Rosie Kaplan's laboratory, a very nice paper in cell that demonstrated in the model of rhabdomyosarcoma that you can actually ex vivo in the petri dish, uh, grow up these myeloid cells and genetically manipulate them to secrete factors like IL-12, for example. So you can make almost like a CAR T cell idea. You expand these cells in vitro, in vitro in the culture dish, genetically manipulate them, and then give it back to a mouse that harbors rhabdomyosarcoma. And by doing that, you can actually reverse the growth of the tumor uh, and you can act, you can act synergistically uh, coinciding with uh, chemotherapeutics. So it opens up a whole different ar arena now besides CAR T and NK cells. Now we can actually start thinking about how do I use myeloid cells that I can grow in culture and give it to patients. So it's a myeloid um, adoptive cell therapy and rather than a T cell adoptive therapy. So it's, it's, it, we are now in a new era and but also demonstrating how important these myeloid cells are. So very quickly, where are we now in, in all of our efforts to target these myeloid cells? The first is the integrin therapy, which I've I mentioned several times, including Factor last time. This, this project is based on the fact that we identify in mouse models of osteosarcoma, the cells that tend to metastasize to the lungs overexpress a molecule called VCAM1 or CD106. And this, this molecule is absent in primary osteosarcoma tumors that do not metastasize to the lungs. So something about this molecule presence that allows this tumor to grow better in the pulmonary microenvironment. And, um, and we uh, suppose that the, the interacting partner on the macrophage side in the lung is a molecule called VOA4 or alpha-4 beta-1, okay? Uh, it, you know, a full uh, alphabet soup. But suffice it to say, why, why are we interested in VCAM1? The VCAM1 project started when we were looking at cervical cancer and breast cancer, and, and somebody beat us to the punch that uh, in breast cancer, same, similar to what we observe in osteosarcoma, the cells actually metastasize from the breast tissue to the lungs also overexpress VCAM1. And, um, and if you knock down VCAM1, you can reverse some of these metastatic potential. So we looked at osteosarcoma in human uh, genome databases that VCAM1 is overexpressed in many of the osteosarcoma samples, although we don't know if most of these are from primary um, and we don't know what the source of these VCAM1 expressions are. They're not necessarily only from tumor because other cells can also express it. But we, we decided, we also looked at the pediatric uh, cancer databases uh, from St. Jude database, and we saw that VCAM1 is also expressed at pretty relatively high level uh, in osteosarcoma and other sarcomas as well. And we took a, a, a approach using mouse models of osteo and the line we use is K7 and there's a metastatic, metastatic prone subline of K7 called, it's called K7M2, um, where the K7M2 will spontaneously metastasize to the lungs, but K7 is less likely to do so. And we looked at specifically the expression patterns of these CD106 or VCAM. Um, the hypothesis being that K7M2 will express higher VCAM because they metastasize to lungs and the non-metastatic ones will express less. And lo and behold, that's true. Um, you know, we looked at VCAM expressions by flow cytometry compared to v, uh, K7, uh, K7M2 as higher. And we actually can genetically knock down this K7M2 cell lines 
and show that when you remove genetically, remove this VK molecule, it no longer can metastasize to the lungs, demonstrating the importance of that molecule. Now, we obviously, it's hard to go in and try to genetically manipulate every tumor to, to make sure they don't express VCAM, right? This is kind of hard uh, to do it you know, across the board. But what we found was that we asked the question whether their expression of VCAM on the tumor cells are truly dependent on the presence of a macrophage in the lungs. So we can do that by using chemicals that deplete macrophages completely from the lungs. And when you do that, um, you can actually uh, prevent pulmonary metastatic disease of osteo happening in animal models, um, demonstrating that the presence of the VCAM in tumor and the presence of macrophages in the lungs are the two ingredients that are very important to make sure that the, these tumors metastasize and take, take hold in the tumor, in the lung tissue microenvironment. Um, now, we can't go around and deplete everybody's lung macrophages. I mean, that's important for you to take, <laughs> you know, uh, to take care of all the infections. So, Fortunately, we're able to actually identify, and there are in the existence already, antibodies that block this interaction between VCAM1 and its partner, alpha-4-beta-1, um, uh, either antibody or uh, specific molecules that block these interactions. And sure enough, if you were to apply using the antibody into an animal that have already established tumor and metastasis in the lungs with osteo, you can actually render these animals long-term uh, tu uh, tumor-free suggesting that you don't have to go and genetically deplete every VCAM expression in tumors. You don't have to you know, deplete in numbers all the macrophages, but you can actually functionally block these interactions using antibodies targeting VCAM and you achieve the same results. And um, there's just a couple of examples, you know, functionally how exactly what happens when you do this blocking experiments. What we show is if you block these interactions, um, you enhance the NK cell activity, you change the morphology of the macrophages to be more um, uh, pro-inflammatory or anti-tumor. So, so the whole environment is now changing because of this one manipulation you did to the tumor. It reverse, reverse the tumor from being very prolific now to regress. And uh, we, more recently, we have now demonstrated that this interaction is very important for the production of something called arginase 1. It's an enzyme that is very uh, abundant in macrophages that, that are more immune suppressive. So, you know, by taking away this VCAM, you actually reduce the immune suppressive factors that set up the entire microenvironment to allow the tumor to thrive. That, at least that's what we think is going on. Now, based on that, we were able to compose um, a phase one, phase two study, uh, open, uh, single arm open label proof of concept using FDA approved uh, antibody drug that targets this alpha four beta one. And this is already FDA approved for, natal, uh, for multiple sclerosis and inflammatory bowel disease uh, made by uh, Biogen. And uh, Kristen, who's, who's been on this case for three years, God bless her. Um, you know, we went now as far as last time when, I, when we spoke to you, we were just executed a contract with a the company. They agreed to sign on after two years of talking to them. They agreed for us to file an IND with the FDA last May. And I was just here to report in December of 2020, we got an IND approved from the FDA. And uh, subsequently, we now have funding for the phase one portion of this trial. I mean, it's still in the process of uh, funding the phase two trial. Anybody with extra cash, uh, I will give you my, uh, my contact information and I'm all your friend. Um, so, um, but 
we now finally, after another three or four months of going back and forth, the final IRB approval is actually that meeting right now as we speak. So right now, September 9th. So hopefully by tomorrow morning, I'll hear anything. Once it's open, we have initial uh, training for our staff um, and the, the drug is already in our pharmacy is ready to go. Um, so this is this agent is uh, this trial is targeting for unresectable pulmonary metastatic osteosarcoma. OK, um, it does not address in primary lesions or elsewhere a multifocal non-pulmonary osteos because for whatever reason, it's still unclear to us, this, this VCAM1 uh, VLA4 interactions is very specific for pulmonary, maybe bone marrow, but pulmonary microenvironment, but not so much in peripheral uh, muscle and other tissues. So it's a very tissue specific interaction. And it's why our protocol does not address non-pulmonary uh, recurrent metastatic osteosarcoma for this clinical trial, okay? Um, so that's where, that's where we are. Um, that's the first one that uh, hopefully will be open very soon uh, for, for uh, unresectable pulmonary metastatic osteosarcoma. The second up, uh, update is BG34, um, which um, uh, I don't know if you, if you remember my discussion from last time, it's a molecule that is derived um, from the outer shell oak brand. And, and this is a brainchild of Dr. Mei Zhang, a very brilliant assistant professor in biomedical engineering and now at Case Comprehensive Cancer Center um, at Case Western Reserve University, who isolated this from the outer shell of Obran, parts that we throw away when we eat oatmeal. Um, and, and, but it turns out that there is a component of the outer shell that has the beta-glucan structure of 1,3,1,4 sugar linkages. is a linear structure that you can isolate very high purity. It's water soluble. Um, it's almost like a, a soluble fiber that you talk, they hear about. But what's interesting about this molecule is that you can isolate them at different molecular weight. And there's a specific molecular weight, BG34 at 200 kilodalton. This hence the name BG34200. That has a very specific immune activation function that its partners, BG3410 kilodalton or 500 kilodaltons do not have. And this is a conundrum we haven't completely figured it out yet. Uh, but there are many aspects of this mechanism we are now starting to, to understand further. This is just to show you on the left here is a mouse model of a melanoma, where if you treat mouse-bearing B16 melanoma with BG34200 in this very specific range, you have shrinkage, uh, shrinkage of the tumor by just single, single injection alone. Um, and whereas uh, 510 do not achieve the same thing and the controls are other dextrans or PBS. And we have done so similar uh, trials in uh, using the earlier K7M2 pulmonary metastatic osteosarcoma and show that BG34200 also can actually uh, rescue animals that uh, develop pulmonary metastatic disease. And we came in uh, 10 days, 14 days later with this BG34, we are able to render a majority of these animals tumor-free, at least by detection using luciferase imaging. And uh, it's very, um, a very exciting development uh, because of these data, we actually um, may have gone and uh, we, we received both an orphan drug designation and a rare disease designation from the FDA in August of last year for the treatment of osteosarcoma. Um, and, and, um, and just most recently, she has received a DOD award, $1.6 million, to study this um, further 
um, in, in, uh, in sarcomas and other cancers. And then we have most recently received a Coulter Award for the development of this drug in the GMB production. Um, by the way, we, we're doing this in our lab. Um, we, don't have, we don't have a factory to make this. You've got to go buy kilograms of bushels of wheat and isolate this thing and go through a whole um, you know, product uh, um, characterization with the FDA. But this BG34, we now have shown that it actually enters into these myeloid cells via the surface molecule CD11B, and it induces the uh, maturations of these myeloid cells um, through a mechanism we're still studying. And it uh, also induces the de development of, of CD11C positive dendritic cells, making the whole tumor microenvironment from a cold tumor microenvironment to a hot tumor microenvironment, increase the number of T cells infiltration, increasing the function of these myeloid cells from an immune suppressive to an immune stimulating phenotype. It's a very interesting molecule and, and just stay, stay focused, uh, stay tuned because I think more will come from here. But before we get to all the molecular details of how it works, we couldn't wait to translate. So, so we have already been in discussion with Amy LeBlanc, uh, the NCI with, the, you know, um, with comparative oncology branch to think about how do we translate this into patients ultimately. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we decided that the first cohort of patients we're gonna try with the BG34 will be canine osteosarcoma patients. And so this actually, the, the, it's already been drafted um, and we're just waiting for the production uh, that we will give to our uh, canine friends and then also funding to actually run the first clinical trial in canine. So keep an eye on this. This is, uh, this is gonna be hopefully uh, imminently uh, for the canine osteosarcoma for BG34. And obviously the hope is that they will, we'll then push forward with, uh, with the data we obtain from the canine to provide both the safety, safety data as well as some toxicology and PKPD studies, they will then ultimately go into a final IND um, submission for human trial, hopefully in 2022 or 2023. And then the last, the third project I'll very quickly um, uh, just summarize is uh, our work on Vectosertib. And this is to target another very immune suppressive molecule in the tumor microbial environment called TGF-beta. And this is something that uh, many people know is a very important molecule to target. And we, historically, it's been very difficult to target. Um, but uh, this is all work done by Sanghee in the laboratory in conjunction with our very good friend. And we're very fortunate to have this partnership with Mepecto, um, the CEO of whom is uh, Sanjin Kim, who used to be at the NCI. Um, and now they're based in South Korea. They have developed a orally available small molecule inhibitor against the receptor for TGF-beta uh, receptor type one. And this is the molecule that is um, highly potent. So this is showing here is what happens if you take this pill by mouth. Um, and within two hours, you completely shut down TGF-beta signaling in your peripheral blood. Um, and that, uh, that effect, once you stop the drug, that effect actually uh, can reverse back to normal within 24, 48 hours. So it's, it's a drug that you can take in, you know, within an hour, two hours to four hours, the drug has already taken effect. And if there's any toxicity, you can stop within a day or two, the drug will disappear. And so it's a much better, well-controlled uh, drug than an antibody-based drug, for example, which once it goes in, sometimes it stays on your system for a whole month. Um, and this is very potent in terms of inhibiting uh, TGF-beta signature here, shown here is something SMAT2, 
um, is something that we look for uh, as an indicator of how well it works. Um, and this cuts across both human osteosarcoma cell lines as well as mouse, mouse osteosarcoma cell lines. Furthermore, you can treat these anim, uh, the cell lines of osteosarcoma and inhibit directly the tumor growth. So this drug has an effect directly on tumor itself. But we also know the drug also has effect on the immune system that surrounds the tumor cells. So in both cases, it's an enhancement of the immune system and suppression of tumor growth. So it actually is a two-pronged approach to actually killing the tumors, you, you know, having the same target, but different populations within the cell. So you can see the tumor uh, growth potential uh, decreases as you increase the dose to be somewhere between one and two micromolar of this drug. You can shut down most of the osteosarcoma in human. Um, it's interesting that 143B, which is uh, uh, CMIC amplified, does not. Um, and you can see that uh, it shuts down uh, SMED phosphorylation in, in 143B, even though the MIC does not get shut down. But interestingly, in other cell lines that we tested, um, this uh, TGF-beta inhibition can abrogate the expressions of MIC in many of the osteosarcoma cell lines we, we have tested. Um, and so it, it and also uh, as far as signaling cascade is concerned, we know that we are perturbing some of the pro-growth uh, signaling uh, cascade in the, in the osteosarcoma specifically. And this is something we're still working on exactly what happened um, from the molecular mechanistic standpoint. But in terms of um, applying in vivo, we've done multiple experiments now. This is done with using human osteosarcoma cell lines, SOS2, in an immune deficient animals. And then we feed this animal by garage, this, this vector search tip, uh, uh, pills. And we can actually substantially reduce the tumor incidence in many of these mice downward from 100% of tumor incidence down to 40%. Um, meaning that 60% you know, of the tumor will not develop osteosarcoma even in an immune deficient animal. So showing that there's a direct effect of the drug on the tumor itself. Um, what's actually very exciting is the animals that actually over time, in the beginning, we, we treat it for 30 days and there's no evidence of disease. And by 60 days, the remaining tumors that grew out, okay, they have been exposed to the drug, they now become, they relapse, they grew. If we were to treat these animals again with the oral vectorsertib, you can actually sustain a suppression of these tumors for prolonged periods of time, um, and which is a very, very exciting development for us. Um, and so, uh, and, and this also uh, can be shown using going back to mouse models where there are immune system uh, involved, as well as direct toxicity of the drug against the tumor itself, we see again, a very potent inhibition of the osteosarcoma growth, which see changes in the immune microenvironment of these tumors. Again, we see increase in activity of NK cells, these anti-tumor macrophages, increasing in T cells. And what's even more exciting is that if you combine this TEW or this vectorsertip drug, the oral pill, in conjunction with pd one antibody, which historically does not work very well for osteos, everybody knows, we now have this synergistic effect, um, suggesting that maybe t this vectorsertib, not only is it targeting cancer cells directly, it's activating immune cells such that now they can respond to anti pd one antibody. And based on these um, data, the, the pharma company has just filed a uh, orphan drug designation with the FDA 
And as of uh, uh, two, two Mondays ago, the, the press release came out, it, it got granted the uh, ODD designation. Very excited about this. And uh, the company's now working very hard with Kristen in the lab to actually draft uh, a concept for a clinical trial based on what we've shown them. And, um, and I'm just, you know, I'll, I'll, have, I'll take a little bit of credit to be the one that pushes the company to think about osteo because they were not thinking about any AYA sarcomas for sure uh, when we were first uh, talking about this. Um, so this is where we are in the initial three projects that was part of the, uh, the outsmarting osteosarcoma since 2019. For the first integrin therapy, as I said, hopefully uh, we'll find out from IRB uh, meetings today. We'll see where the status of that is. The BG34, we have already a pre-IND meeting with the FDA uh, in 2020. 2020, sorry, this is zero here. As I said, there's a canine trial that's pending. Uh, we received the uh, RDD and ODD uh, um, status from the FDA back in August last year. Um, and a new award has been uh, awarded from the Department of Defense uh, to Dr. Mei Zhang. And then um, for Vertcacertib, um, a ODD designation in August, um, uh, just uh, two weeks ago. And then the trial, uh, trial concept has been drafted with Mepactil as we speak right now. And the last few minutes, I know I'm supposed to finish in five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, and because um, if you don't stop me, I'm just gonna keep talking. There's a lot of things to talk about. Uh, so I wanted maybe just the newest uh, development in the laboratory. And this is actually a work that's been ongoing for three years now, uh, three or more years um, about cryoablation in sarcomas. And some, I think the concept may, may not be so foreign to many of us on this call. Um, and Cryoblation is a, basically a clinical application where you pump ultra cold liquid nitrogen or argon gas through a probe that the radiologist can see under guidance, either ultrasound or CD guidance. And the concept here is that in, in operable tumor or sometimes a nerve bundle, you really need to sort of ablate it because it's causing so much pain. Um, you can pump liquid nitrogen into the area and it does several things. One is the ice crystal will clog off the blood vessel. So you basically strangle the tumors to death. And the second is you freeze the tumor cells and then the water crystal then ruptures the cell membrane and the cell died of these necrotic cell death. Now, the, 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 the necrotic cell death is actually a form of very inflammatory cell death that has a role in immune cell activation. And as a result, you know, there's been several, many conversations whether cryoblation may be a way to actually as an adjuvant to, to immunotherapy. And can you take advantage of the fact that many of our sarcoma patients might actually go through these kind of procedures? Is there a way to understand, you know, how can we take advantage of this procedure in terms of immuno, immunotherapeutic uh, development? And we are not the first one by far to think about this, uh, including uh, Jim Allison's lab and Nobel laureate who has actually shown that you can combine anti-CTLA-4 with cryoablation and lead to synergistic effect immune activation in some tumor models. And again, the idea here is that cryoablation induces necrotic cell death by rupturing the cell membrane, and it elaborates a lot of contents from the tumor cells, some of which are very immune stimulating. And that, that is part of the overall efficacy. And once you stimulate the act, uh, T cells, or immune cells in that tumor where you cryoblate, these cells can then travel throughout the whole body and then kill other non-cryoablated tumors. So this is something we call a scopal effect, right? So you 
you put your probe in one site, and if you have two or three other lesions in the other lungs, people have seen regression of the tumor in the other lungs where you did not treat. This is something we call a scopal effect. And we think that's immune mediated, and I'll show you some evidence of that. Now, the problem is for, for many clinicians on this call, you'll know as soon as I talk about cryoablation, people say that doesn't work because invariably it comes back and it comes back faster than usual. And it's just inconsistent. Um, and sometimes I've spoken to quite a few people that are doing this and there's paradoxical outcome. Sometimes the, the, the doctor might go in with trying to cryoblate and they are very thorough. They're trying to ablate all the tumors and the tumor comes back faster than before. And sometimes you see better results when you partially ablate the tumor and leave some live tumors around and the tumor actually shrink. It's a very you know, confusing picture and we wanna know a little bit why that is. One of the pathway we've focused on is this um, pathway called STING. It's a very ancient uh, myeloid specific detection of bacteria and viruses. It's a, it's a way for the myeloid cell when they are infected with DNA viruses and other things, um, the, the presence of naked DNA, which should be a nucleus, but if they ever happen in the cytoplasm, it's an activating signal for this, this pathway called STING. And it binds to uh, um, dinucleotides or two, uh, two DNA sequences that translocates to the Golgi from ER, activates a whole transcriptional activation pathway and makes cytokines that att attract immune cells to come and destroy this, this potentially virally infected cell. Um, and so the importance of sting pathway has been very well described in myeloid cells. And we wanted to know whether it's operational in tumor, whether the sting pathway is, is what's responsible for the responsiveness or unresponsiveness of cryoblation in tumors. In this case, sorry, we were using rhabdomyosarcoma and not osteo yet. We will be there, we're not there yet. But using mouse models of uh, rhabdomyosarcoma, uh, Mohammed has shown in the lab that if you co-culture these cells undergoing uh, a cryoablation with uh, bone marrow-derived uh, macrophages and dendritic cells, you can lead to the immune activation of these myeloid cells. Um, the idea being that when you cryoblate cancer cells, you will rupture the membrane of the cancer cells and the contents, including double-stranded DNA, will be leaked out into the media. And that DNA can be picked up by the macrophages that's the activate the sting pathway leading to immune activation. Okay, that's the, that's the, that's the hypothesis. And so sure enough, we, we showed in, in animals, we sub, uh, subject the animal to uh, injections of a tumor, wait till the tumor becomes very big. Um, and this is a very aggressive uh, rhabdomyosarcoma uh, cell line. Um, and we can cryoablate these tumors uh, by, uh, by touching the skin with this very cold uh, liquid nitrogen. And sure enough, you can actually uh, reduce the tumors to no growth at all. And, and the myeloid cells in that tumor microenvironment are all immune activated. The metastasis is decreased. Um, and so this is all good. Now, the question is, in this model, the tumor did not grow after cryo. Is it because we freeze off the tumor? They're all dead, right? That's, all, that's why they didn't grow. But what Mohammed showed was in order for you to have that sustained suppression of tumor, you actually require the presence of immune cells. Meaning you do the same thing in the immune deficient mice, the tumor grow right back. Even though you freeze the tumor to death, you think, 
but there's enough live tumors left to come back and overtake this, this host and eventually will, will, will kill the animal. Um, and same thing, in the animal that responded to cryoablation, if you remove either CD4 T cells or CDA T cells, you lose this therapeutic effect. So you need the immune system to be in, in, intact for this to work. Uh, and there's evidence that uh, after cryoablation, the immune activation status is improved. I'll skip this page, but um, the, the bottom line here, what we found was that very interestingly, the importance of sting is not only solely attributable to the myeloid component. What Mohammed was able to show is that tumor cells themselves, if the tumor cells also have intact sting, live tumor cells will respond to the same thing as the myeloid cell, and both the myeloid cell and live tumor cell will contribute to this immune activation. Um, and the way we show that is if you were to uh, genetically knock out sting either in the, the immune cells or in the tumor cells, um, you lose this protection, okay? You lose the protection of cryoblation in terms of tumor growth, and you really need the presence of sting both in the tumor and in the myeloid cells for the cryoblation to work. Now, historically, what we are focused on is sting activation in the myeloid cells. And this is, you might have heard sting agonist therapy, intratumorous sting agonist therapy, and, and pharma companies all focused on that. But what we've, what we've shown is that tumors expression of sting is actually a major contributor. And what is, and I'll just skip this. Um, what is interesting is that many of the tumors we looked at is very heterogeneous when it comes to sting. Many tumors have turned off the sting pathway. And that this perhaps attributable or contributes to the, the reason why some tumors do not respond to cryoablation because epigenetically or genetically, the tumor cells turn off the sting, thereby making it a very cold microenvironment, despite the myeloid cell trying to activate its sting and trying to keep a, a, a warm, you know, tumor microenvironment going. Um, and this is sort of some of the evidence comes when you see, as you look at databases of sarcoma patients, as you go through the initial diagnosis to metastatic disease to relapse, there seems to be a trend of decreasing sting activation as you go through uh, different stages of disease development. And there is some evidence that depending on the histological subtypes and mutations contained within, the sting pathway is different. And we don't have all the answers to that yet, um, but you know, we're now teaming up with um, uh, MD Anderson to look at um, a lot of uh, patients who have gone through cryoblations to look at their initial tumor biopsy, how many patients have high sting expression, how many patients have low sting expression, and based on that stratification, what is the clinical outcome of these patients undergoing cryoblation? Is there a direct correlation between high sting, better outcome with cryo, low sting, worse outcome with cryo? And if so, then the next question is, can we somehow use drugs that we already have on the shelf to actually increase some of these pathways that sting has uh, or the sting uh, related pathways to make these tumors more responsive to cryoblation? So I'll, um, I'll end uh, there exactly at 40, 39 minutes. Um, but here is the overall summary. So I've talked to you about the first three projects and the newer project 
it's a there's a, a new clinical concept, and I need to I need to uh, talk to a few important players, including the company that this very generously supplies us with the cryoablation machine. Um, what would be a clinical trial concept that, that we can emerge from from this discovery, and whether we can correlate the uh, the presence of sting and the degree of sting activation in sarcomas uh, uh, and then the clinical responsiveness to cryoablation, and then ultimately what turns thing off in osteo? What turns thing on? How can, you, how can you turn it back on? And which part of the sting pathway, signaling pathway is important? I mean, it's, it's a sequence, you know, this whole slew of, of molecules. Is sting itself the important thing or the subsequent players downstream of that, that signaling molecule more, more important? We don't have all the answers yet, but, uh, but this is just another um, um, area of, of investigation going forward. And the last slide uh, before the acknowledgement is uh, what's on the horizon. So you know, as, as you see, we have, we have se several projects going on, brewing all at different stages of translation, some in early discovery, some translational, some ready for clinical translation. And, and to coordinate all that, um, one of my newer projects uh, here locally is to establish a center for immunotherapy uh, based at Rainbow. And the idea was to be actually a, a hub to take into all the discovery science that's happening on campus and elsewhere to partner with industry partners um, and, and take advantage of some of our production, uh, cell production facilities and others to really address, um, you know, using immunotherapeutics uh, to address uh, uh, pediatric and, and AYA cancers, but also with the advent of immunotherapy in other arenas to see whether or not we can actually help other children with different uh, diseases that could be helped with immunotherapeutic approaches, including GVHD, including inflammatory bowel disease, including um, you know, allergy in, in infection, infection. And, and uh, one of my pet peeves actually, uh, even, even for diseases like autoimmune um, autism, um, some of the restoring some immune balance to the host, uh, there's some suggestion that it might help the overall uh, severity of autistic uh, spectrum. In, in some animal models, which is actually very, uh, very interesting, um, but we're not there. So here's the acknowledgement. I don't do any of the work. I'm a mouthpiece for everybody. Um, here's a more recent picture, including some of our summer students. Uh, many of the folks uh, whose work I mentioned, Sanghee was uh, on the TGF beta uh, experiment and Suzanne did a lot of work on looking at sting um, uh, genetics and Muhammad is working on, uh, he's the one that give credit to him for thinking about the tumor sting status versus what everybody else is thinking about myeloid sting status. Um, always glad, glad to hear students who think uh, against the grain and come up with new ideas. And, um, and Muta, Melissa, and, and Ali, they're uh, all MD-PhD students working on other exciting projects that hopefully we'll have some time to talk about in the future. And Kristen's been a driver in translational clinical trial drafting. And Yami's working on her way in, in different uh, in leukemia models, which I don't have time to talk about in this audience. Um, but, and, and Jay and Sada makes everything works. And, and Miranda just joined us recently in, in applying to graduate school. So obviously, uh, thank you for um, trying to make it better. Um, and uh, we, we are all on the same team. And, and this, this would not have been possible without the support of folks on this call and, um, and hopefully we have more news to come in the very near future. So thank you for this time and gosh, I went over five minutes. Should I stop the screen? <laughs> yes, thanks. Um, you know, we, we expect it. <laughs>
But I have to, but it's totally fine because I, all that information was just spectacular and so hopeful and, and interesting. And, um, and we also, you know, it's not like a conference where I'm like, okay, we got 20, you know, you got 20 minutes and, the, you know, we get the hook out. So happily osteobites, we get a little bit more um, leeway. Okay, go ahead, team, what you got? Okay, I'm starting, right? So I have a first question, which is in the anticipated trial with in integrin, could you give the parameters for patient participation? Yeah. So again, um, the basic, the basic thing is that uh, the patient will have to be, it's from age five to 30. So it's a, it's a wide range. We want to capture as many patients as possible. Um, the only caveat here is that um, this is intended for patients who have unresectable pulmonary osteosarcoma. So if you have pulmonary osteosarcoma plus some other disease elsewhere, you will not be eligible. Um, and, and, um, and the reason is, you know, we wanted to, we, based on the evidence we have, you know, we, we've seen that it does not respond to, to uh, primary lesions, at least in our animal models. Now we might be surprised uh, in vivo, but, but because, you know, the, the integrin therapy itself is not completely without side effects, right? So patients who get this, especially those that actually got it for prolonged periods of time for MS therapeutics, there is a risk for, for severe immune suppression to the point of reactivating some of the viruses that live in your brain. You can get, uh, you know, sort of progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy that can be lethal. And we, we, we don't want... Um, and those, those are typically patients that have received this, this antibody for more than two years. And so at the, at the, as it stands right now, the trials for patients that uh, fit these disease uh, criteria, and it's up to two years. We, we don't go beyond two years. But really, the idea is to see, for the first time, demonstrating the same FDA drug is safe to, to use in cancer patients. Um, and ultimately, the goal here, I think, will be to actually develop inhaled um, nebulized formulation so we can actually target only the pulmonary tree and lessen the potential side effects on systemic circulation. But I can't go there until I, I engage the company with their known drug uh, preparations. Hopefully we'll get them excited about the initial studies and then we can talk some more. But this approach, I'll just tell you, is not specific for osteo. We, we now see the same thing in T-cell leukemias that, that failed bone marrow transplant. These stem cells upregulate VCAM1 and the same therapy can actually can be efficacious. So stay tuned. So along those lines, um, uh, somebody out in the audience is wondering if that Integrin trial is possibly available as compassionate use, like if they do not qualify for the study. Yeah, I think we, we, in fact, we have been in conversation with several families about that. And I think we have approached the, the uh, Biogen. They have expressed their willingness to, to help with anything. So, you know, if there are patients that, that I'm happy to talk to the primary oncologist and, and, and obviously we, we, we will respect the primary team to, to know what's the best um, you know, scenario for patient, whether this makes sense or not. Um, and, and in some of our more recent conversations with different families you, for compassionate use in, in, in other drugs like Bactocertib, um, in those conversations, 
you know, they have diseases elsewhere outside of the lungs. And for that reason, we, we direct them to, you know, this TGF-beta inhibitor rather than the natalizumab. Um, so, but, but the company, you know, when we approached them about a year ago, uh, because they were potential uh, candidates, they did express their willingness to, to actually work with the physician to file the compassionate use uh, application with the FDA. Uh, along those same lines for compassionate use, there's a question. Um, if if your, your clinical thoughts about cryoablation might be also available with the immune modulators for compassionate use. Yeah, um, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things. I, I obviously, I don't do cryoablation. Um, so, you know, I, I number one, it, it depends on um, the clinical scenario, whether or not the approach is safe to do so. And really a lot of it has to do with comfort level of the physician, the treating physicians and their institutions, their experience with cryoblation. Not, not every institution has a lot of experience with that. And that, at least in my conversation with our own people here, um, you, you get a lot of sort of eye rolling. I was like, oh, I'm not going there. Um, but, but, you know, so, so it is a bit, um, uh, I think early at this point to know uh, how, how generalizable and how aggressive we should push for people to think about this. Um, there are experiences uh, and, and folks who have done this for a long time, but usually what they do is not a single cryoblation. They've, they've coupled that with a whole bunch of uh, immune stimulating therapies, most of them in, is intratumoral. So you, you cryoblate and then you inject either CTLA-4, toll-like receptor agonist, a lot of sort of, you know, uh, soup du jour trying to activate the immune system and, um, uh, and, and part of, part of the, the uh, ongoing debate is because everybody sort of do things haphazardly and randomly and not in a very well controlled way, you never know how to interpret these data. And so, so this is why part of the driver behind thinking about doing more formalized clinical trial in sarcomas correlating cryoblation plus minus, potentially plus minus something else. I don't know what that something else is. And then correlating them with, with the underlying genetics of the tumor on biopsy. And, and you know, can we make this state tumor sting as a biomarker of response potentially? Uh, we don't have that yet. And this is why we are, we're partnering with MD Anderson. Hopefully there will be um, going through, you know, who are the suitable patients we should look at um, and look at their tissue microarrays to see, can we draw some conclusions from these uh, retrospective studies before we think about a prospective uh, clinical trial. Thank you. So that it's, was certainly it's a helpful. conversation. It certainly is a conversation. I'll just say, you know, from compassionate basis, it's always a conversation you should have with your doctor, um, right. And, right? And so, um, and, and hopefully people at least will be willing to sort of look through the, the evidence and then and contemplate whether or not it's it's a it's approachable thing, and number two, whether they have the right people in their local institution to do such a thing. Yeah, thank you. So I have one last question. Um, what inspired you to become a researcher? Because <laughs> that's the only thing I know how to do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so for several things, I, I um, I've always been interested in research, um, and and I've shared with this audience before. The, the impetus for, for osteo specifically is because of my cousin, um, 
who passed away from osteo 40 years ago. And by the way, I know my cousin's brother is on this call. I just see his name. Hey, Wayne. Um, so Wayne's brother passed away. Um, and, um, and, and that's been for a long time. He just said hi. Um, 40 years. And 40 years later, we still treat kids with the same drug that, that his brother went through. And so that's really the impetus to, to really trying to make an impact, trying to do something different. And, um, and now, um, I, I, and the other thing is I'm, just, I'm a little ADHD, as you can see, I, my mind kind of go all over the place. I'm not happy with just doing one thing and, and research allows me to kind of just, you know, especially with a whole bunch of very fun, fun people in the laboratory, um, it, you know, it allows us to explore things and, and hopefully in that process, bring new things to, to come along. I'm just reading Dr. Healy's response here. The freezing explanation is overly simplistic. I agree with you. And actually, this is actually one of the things we are um, uh, trying to, um, and part of the problem also, you know, when you apply these clinically, everybody does things very differently. And, uh, and you know, some people, um, uh, uh, you know, swear that you got to do eight minutes freezing with 15 minutes thaw plus three cycles and, and just it's all over the map. So, you know, exactly uh, how, how do you control this in, in a control fashion? That's part of the problem. We haven't, we haven't gotten there and we just can't, uh, you know, so part of a conversation, ongoing conversation, what would a clinical trial look like? How do you, how do you technically um, regulate that, you know, to a point where you can actually, it's not like we're giving the same dose of drug, right? Um, you know, how do you apply this? I agree with Dr. Healy. Okay, so uh, just to respond to another question there, it was, what was Dr. Healy's question? Uh, Dr. Healy said, technical issues with cryo that works by other mechanisms than the dogma, i.e. kills by donin effects, rate of freeze and rate of thaw, number of freezes, et cetera. The ice crystal explanation is overly simplistic, great potential. And um, all has to do with eutectic point of water. Did I say that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Great. But I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, we 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 are open to. Well, I wanted to converse with people that have obviously a lot more thought into this. this is something that we we start thinking about very recently. So always um, uh, welcome any conversations and discussions. And if you have any ideas, I'm, I'm all yours. Um, love sharing ideas. Um, I wanted to say to, to Wayne, um, I don't know if you shared with him, Alex, that at every um, factor conference, we have, an, we have an angel wall where we honor the kids who have passed from osteosarcoma and your brother's on that wall. And I have your email, Wayne. So I'll, I'll send you a link to that video. It's on our YouTube channel with all of our videos. Um, but I'll send you that specific link. And then we're running out of time, but I wanted to um, say, say two things in addition to what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, the first is I wanted to say um, Mei Zhang, um, uh, Dr. Dr. Mei Zhang in your lab 
is not only brilliant, but she's very generous with her time. She helped us create the Chinese version of osteosarcoma from our families to yours, um, which is now distributed throughout China. When you get osteosarcoma in, in, and you live in China, you get the Chinese edition of osteosarcoma from our families to yours with thanks to Sunflower Children and Xiu Children's Foundation. So thanks to Dr. Zhang for that. Um, the other thing to say is if this highlights nothing and everything went over your head, it's okay. What, what your takeaway should seriously be from a conversation like this is funding research matters. It doesn't happen from the government necessarily or, or in a big way. Um, it happens regularly with, with grants from organizations like MIB agents. And um, the other thing to say about research coming from organizations like MIB is it allows for creativity and I'm gonna say magic to happen because you're not so regulated um, as you are with a, with a grant from, from the NIH. So it's really important. Um, again, like you can help fund research with bows <laughs> or you can just send us a big check and we'll, we'll take care of um, making sure that it gets to the right person. Um, also needed to say thank you, thank you, um, to, uh, Dr. Huang for all of your hard work. You have lots of messages. I hope you can see them on here from, from, your, from your peers and from patient families who are saying thank you um, so much for this hard work. Um, and we're really glad that you were, well, we don't love the, the reason that you were inspired to be a researcher for osteosarcoma, but we're very grateful. And Wayne, your brother's life had meaning because of what Dr. Wang does today for all of us. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to your whole family. Um, okay, so gotta wrap it up and give everybody the rest of their day back. Wanted to um, also add that more information on this osteobites and all osteobites can be found on YouTube. Um, it can be found on mibagents.org or wherever you get your podcast. If you registered for this osteobite session, you're going to be emailed the link shortly. Uh, and then also next week, we have another really excellent osteobites with MIB Agents 2020 Outsmarting Research Award winner, Dr. Andy Livingston and Dr. Nancy Gordon from MD Anderson. They're going to be talking about hydroxychloroquine and self-eating in osteosarcoma. So bring your snack. <laughs> Until then, thanks again to Dr. Huang and his um, team for using their powers for good for Osteo Warriors. And thank you to junior board member, also incredibly brilliant and wonderful and all the good things, Shannon McCormick and uh, to MIB superhero volunteer and all things wonderful, Amy Woodcheck. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here, everybody. Uh, MIBagents.org forward slash bows, get your bow, um, get your sparkles on. Okay, thanks all. Thank you so much. Great, that was awesome. Thank you. <laughs>